listening to BC Museum Portraits, and I'm Project Manager Spencer Stewart. In this episode, we'll be speaking with the Chemanus Valley Museum Historical Society President Amy Brophy, as well as the curator of the museum, Leslie Moore. Amy, Leslie, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me and, uh, and speak about the history of the Chemanus Valley Museum. How did you get involved with museums and specifically to do with this museum? I moved to Chemanus over 26 years ago and my husband's business brought us up here. And uh, prior to that, I was a business banker in San Francisco in the Bay Area. I grew up outside New York City and went to school in Boston and then moved to San Francisco and basically grew up in museums because my parents were very strong supporters of engaging us in the history. We also traveled up and down the East Coast visiting all the famous historic sites, Williamsburg, Sturbridge Village, the Cherokee Trail of Tears site, of course Philadelphia. We were very much involved learning history through going to museums. So that's, that was my interest and background in museums. So I really come to this museum from a visitor's perspective rather than as a technical, technical museum management person. About seven or eight years ago, I joined the museum after doing some other things on the island and was asked right away to join the board and then asked to become the president when the construction was going on. I learned a lot very quickly about museums and management. And that, and that in essence is my interest in coming to this museum. I very much saw the need to um, limit the amount of artifacts that were coming in that were not relevant to our history here and asked the board to um, consider making sure that they were selective in their acquisitions and in calling through our existing artifacts to make sure it told stories about Shimanus Valley. And so we've started that process and we just asked Leslie to join our group as the part-time staff person along with uh, Trina and hopefully our uh, expert curator and down the road to help us become more more professional in how we manage our museum. Hmm. When I came back to the island five years ago I was looking for work, and work specifically to be useful, to make use of all that's in here. I've been blessed with a wonderful career, working in a range of museums, a range of collections, interacting with many different communities, and it's very challenging for the smaller communities. I came here a month ago, I heard a call for help, <laughs> and I'm thrilled because it enables me to be useful and share and help do what's here. Now, walk us through the development of the Shimanus Valley uh, Museum. How, how did it start out? What were some of the, who were some of the figures there? And what were the strengths of the collection? The society started in the early 60s, and it was just a number of interested residents in the history, old families. And also we had Macmillan, was yes. a member of the board. Audrey Ginn, who donated the cemetery, Penelicate Island, to us, uh, was a member of the board. And uh, Olson, 
who was the accountant at the mill for many years and wrote the iconic Water Over the Wheel. And frankly, they just brought in all the stuff they collected over the years from the various families that they had hidden in their barns and their attics and etc. And when the museum actually got built in 1991, the original museum, they brought it all in. There is no kind of rhyme or reason to the collections, and this is what we're hoping Leslie can do, is sort through that and uh, make sure we cull through it and, and identify the relevant items. Walk us through the various spaces in which the museum has been hosted and housed through the years. This was originally the mill manager's home and site, going way back to the turn of the century. And uh, around the centennial time, Canada Centennial, the town asked Macmillan Blodell if they would donate that land as a park. And at that time that he did, it was a, quite a ceremony with Macmillan himself showing up. And around 1990, the board of the society asked if we could build a museum here. So that's when the original museum was opened up in 91. About five years ago, they wanted to expand the museum. The new expansion doubled the size of the museum, and it's become a wonderful building to house all these artifacts and to give us uh, a chance to grow. Hmm. And what what are some of the strengths? What are some of the stories that it it tells in a really cohesive way about the history of the Chemanus Valley region? When you add the archival collection and the artifacts, there are several continuous stories. So you get the sense of the mill and all the people that worked in the mill, and there are groupings of artifacts that reflect the life of the mill workers. There is also parallels with the early merchants and the entrepreneurs. The old town here in Chimena certainly reflects that there was a Chinatown, the Japanese fishermen and the associated businesses to enable the fishing industry here. There are those threads. There's a lot of the lifestyle items and what people did in terms of their non-work time, a substantial education history, the social groups, the church organizations. Those threads are all there. The museum's lucky also in that when the fourth mill, this is now the fifth mill on site, yeah. uh, going back to uh, 1850s um, with the first mill, when the fourth, which was built during the Victoria Lumber Company era around 1925 and then was torn down in 1983, the town was terrified that it would become extinct because it was a mill town. So they started this tourism program with the murals. They've made the history alive with the murals and taken it from the mm -hmm. iconic Water Over the Wheel book, which the accountant of the mill wrote. He was a keen historian as well. So all those murals and history is all throughout the town and it's built up since the 80s, early 80s. Mm -hmm. And so we have the support of that tourism industry and all the advertising and uh, strength of that. Thousands of tourists come up through the cruise line and bus system 
So we were very lucky in that we were able to piggyback on that and it's become a real tourist attraction because of the murals. You mentioned upstairs that you don't actively uh, acquire material for the collection. You're mentioning a moratorium just recently. But moving into the future, what are some stories that you hear about the history of the Shimanas Valley that you maybe have fragments of that you're feeling that you want to fill out within the collection, within the stories of the community? Well, one after the accountant Olson wrote his book, it stopped in the 50s. Mm. That's when he finished the book. So there's a lot to be told since the 50s about the town. I asked the former mill manager who was responsible for the fourth to get rebuilt into the fifth current mill as a modern profitable organization to pull some guys that retired from the mill Mm -hmm. to come and we videotaped them to tell the story of what it was like living in Shimanis and working in Mm -hmm. Shimanis from the after World War II up to when, actually, till the new mill was up and running. Mm-hmm. We're in the process of videotaping. We also acquired the Pioneer Cemetery on Penelicut Island, mm-hmm. formerly known as Cooper, and it hasn't been attended to for quite a while, so I reached out to the tribe and the chief and the manager and basically reacquainted ourselves with how we could get permission to go there. And so we are looking at doing some research and working with them. I think they're interested in knowing the history too. So I am opening up our archives on Penelicut and there's quite an interesting history there with the former occupants. There's a hundred acre homestead property that was given to a English pastor essentially right before Douglas um, declared Penelicut to be a native reserve and so that still sits today as a homestead property and uh, obviously the Penelica tribe is interested in in its status and that's another story that hasn't been told many people don't realize the impact of the Douglas treaties and then the nature of the agreement that Dunsmuir got in building the Esquimalt Nanaimo Railway There were people, there were settlers here before he was granted the crown grant. Mm. It's a huge chunk of the island. And not only was it the railway right away, it was land on either side and mineral rights and timber rights. And it was iffy for a while before they passed the First Settlers Act in which Dunsmuir had to agree that if you were already there and had a homestead and were existing there, you were allowed to continue. Mm. So that whole land ownership, property ownership, treaty stuff, the negotiations underway, is all in the background. The Shimanis Valley was a wonderful place to be. The farms, that story isn't really present. And the way the world is going, looking at food, we get into the current issues, impact climate change, sustainability, whatever. There is the opportunity to lend how people have sustained themselves in the valley. We had a 25th anniversary of the original museum a couple of years ago, and I volunteered to run the event. In that, I noticed that the 
dairy farms here mm. were not rep- not really recognized yep. by the mural society or anybody. And they're huge. And not only that, but the Porter Farm yes. is over 125 years family owned. Mm. And the Plester Farm, which is on River mm. Road there, that was the original Rainbow Ranch. They called it, if you look in yep. the old history books, it's called Rainbow Ranch, which is one of the original homestead uh, properties which in the are area. fascinating stories yeah i went to visit them the shimanas families are very proud of their history and so i went down to see don and karen Oops. and asked them if i could borrow some of their what i call artifacts or items they lent me some things for our uh, 25th anniversary yeah. and in fact i used that wagon upstairs to bring it out in the plaza and showcase that and the plesters are very nice in that they uh, lent me a number of their pictures historic pictures i was really proud to be able to start telling that story and we also told the story of the shipping that went on at the mill and it's just it was in november of 2017 that the last ship was actually docked here at the mill Mm -hmm. but until that time from the very beginning it those ships ran up and down the coast they went to england to provide wood for a lot of the houses there and the war effort Mm -hmm. They've gone to Japan and China in the 90s. And so that was a fun history to talk about. And then also in 2015, when they started the first Indigenous Nation Day on June 21st, I was connected with one of the Penelicut and Halalt members, whose mom was actually a chief for a while, way back when. And we worked together to tell the reconciliation story in a way that she led it. We opened up the plaza outside the museum and um, told the story in the way that she thought was appropriate, particularly about the residential school system. Mm-hmm. Frankly, uh, I was surprised that all this news has come out recently because we were telling the story back then, but no one listened. Mm-hmm. Well, and that is the key point. The communities themselves have always known, Mm. always. And wherever I've been in the province, because of the nature of my my work, you knew, you just knew. But again, nobody listened, nobody wanted to listen. And no one talked about it. And no one talked about it. We're starting to have that conversation slowly, and I'm trying to be very respectful. Yeah, and it... It intersects, this may sound a little strange, but it intersects with some of the current wonderful creative side of things, the college and sweater mm-hmm. industry. Mm-hmm. And you see the uh, reemergence and interest in the weaving mm-hmm. and the canoe building and all that. So one informs the other. And I've seen photographs of these industrial classrooms. Mm -hmm. And to me, artifact-wise, that would be a way of telling that part of the story. And I've read some of the survivors and and, um, victims' stories of the training in these workspaces Mm -hmm. and how rigid it was and the way their day went and did they learn trades. How do you go about building exhibitions in the museum and and, and what are some stories, we've touched on some already, what are some exhibitions that you have in mind for the future that you're starting to percolate on at the moment? One of the things we're hoping to do is to take the McMill exhibit, which tells the story of the mill, 
and get a TV screen and incorporate a lot of the archives and artifacts and pictures and be able to bring them to the public so the public has access to so much stuff that is sort of hidden in our, <laughs> our basement. Yeah. And there's a great interest in that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You've probably noticed the little exhibit case that, that faces outside. Mm -hmm. That's changed monthly and it ties into what's going on in the community or our more traditional cultural habits. Like when they redid the uh, Main Street there, it's yeah. a brand new entrance to Shimanis, which has taken quite a few years to do, but she then pulled out all the old pictures and stories about that street over time, mm -hmm. which is fascinating. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing I hope to do, is taking the maps, the old maps mm -hmm. of the town, and superimposing them somehow visually yeah. with what has done over the decades and how the town has changed. Because we have some old historic buildings. The Willow Street Cafe mm -hmm. was a Masonic building, the library, I think the jail, the bank. And uh, so that's an old historic building. And a lot of the old buildings there have stories. We have the fire insurance maps, mm. which are marvelous. They're artifacts in themselves. And there's so much information. And that is uh, a different perspective. I, I, I know we've, in different capacities, I've had conversations, oh, we have to involve the youth or we need to have something for children. And my approach is actually to look, yes, it's useful to focus particular activities for particular age groups, but in reality, anyone, regardless of their age, will pick up different things. Going into the future is actually really exciting because you have a very solid basis here and quite a lot to work with and knowing the fact that we're going to try and fill in the gaps. What do you say are some of the issues in the Shimanus Valley at the moment that you feel are, are really indicative of this moment? I'm getting to know it better. I've only really been here a month. But picking up... Well, you've been part of Ladysmith, though. Yes, but the communities are quite <laughs> different. The old rivalries. Oh, well, yeah. So those are some of the, the, those are some of the, uh, the changes, some of the stories you want to bring up. What, what are some changes you're seeing in present-day Shemanus? With, with a thought to well, one, you know, one historical thing, alterations. One thing I'm really noticing is all the people who've moved here. And that's mm. true up and down the island. And are they engaged? Are they aware? Do they want to be engaged? Do they want to be aware? They bring... And will they volunteer? <laughs> and the more recent wave of those from Vancouver who have made millions selling their properties, it's actually becoming quite a percentage. And it's Central Island, everything from Qualicum all the way down Mill Bay, Sanitz Peninsula, that many museums such as ours had hoped they'd be people to retired, free time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They don't have anything to worry about. Why aren't they being engaged? Mm -hmm. So somehow that needs to be addressed. Yeah, mm -hmm. so we're trying to figure out how do you get them engaged. Mm -hmm. Maybe through events or special readings or... And that's where we're really going to have to and, work and, on that. And the events here and now, I think, is one way. Because then you subtly have the community context, the historical context. Something fun they can relate Something to. Something fun yeah. and it's a reality, oh, this is alive in my community. Maybe I can be involved. You can't do the 
what used to be a very specific call-out. We need volunteers come and help. You have to focus it. Mm -hmm. You have to engage them somehow. What are their interests? I'm thrilled. One of the big volunteers, she came in when I was doing data entry, and she said, I'd like to do that. And I went, okay, you're going to regret <laughs> that. But boy, lady, we got some stuff to do. Yeah, we have we, everything from pre, was it 2015, has yeah. not been, all the artifacts have not been in, uh, entered, entered on the, no. on the mm. computer. And it's a large collection. We're getting up, we have, what, 6,700 data entry right now. The is collection right? is easily getting up to 14,000. Mm -hmm. But a lot, some of it needs to be culled. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like if you have all and those typewriters. And that's another conversation, which, in looking at being sustainable and relevant, why are we using space, which is valuable, to have multiples of the same thing? Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Deaccession used to be a bad word. Mm. Now it is good practice, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you are being irresponsible stewards. These collections that we're keeping have amazing value and amazing importance. Mm -hmm. So going forward, that is definitely something mm -hmm. that needs to be done. And getting back to the volunteer issue, I know when I was, I used to help run the PACs, uh, the parent groups in this elementary and this uh, secondary Parent school. advisory committee. And one thing I found, because we were having a hard time initially getting volunteers, so I would bro break down event or a function into tiny parts yes. so that someone didn't feel overwhelmed that they were giving their life to the event or the situation. Mm -hmm. All they had to do was devote an hour here mm -hmm. or a couple hours there. And, and I always asked them, what do you like to do? Yeah. Yeah. We've been pretty good always to oh. break up the day and, yeah. um, so that people only had X amount of time. Mm -hmm. So yeah, figuring out who your audience is and, and also who your volunteers could be yeah. and figuring out how to structure it so it makes it fun for them. Mm -hmm. And even the students, because we get a lot of Young Canada Work students mm -hmm. every summer. I always try to find out what their interests are and how they can benefit. It's not just a job to give them a little extra money for a university, mm -hmm. but they can still gain and enjoy being here. Yeah, mm -hmm. you get those wonderful aha moments. Amy, Leslie, thank you for sitting down and speaking about the Chimenez Valley Museum and all the best moving forward and with your exhibitions and your programs. Thank you. Thank you for your interest and it's been a yes. pleasure. Thank you, Spence. This has been another BC Museum Portrait. BC Museum Portraits is done in partnership with the BC Museum Association. To hear more portraits and view the accompanying images made by project photographer Tayu Hayward, please go to museum.bc.ca. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time.